Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Hi, I'm your host, Ron Huntley. Today, I'll be speaking with Mike Timmis. He's an accomplished businessman, a husband, a grandfather, and an author of a great book entitled Between Two Worlds, A Spiritual Journey of an Evangelical Catholic. He's the former chairman of Prison Fellowship and a friend of Alpha. Mike has been blessed with the charism of teaching and a love for Jesus like few people I know. Enjoy the conversation. Lift off and the clock has started. Earlier this year, I had an opportunity to interview Father Patrick Cosgrove. And in that interview, we talked about the importance of having people we could turn to at different points in our life, people who can speak truth into us and, and keep us on the right track. Our guest today, Mike Timmis, is one of those people in my life, a real mentor and somebody I look up to. Mike, welcome to the show. Well, my pleasure to be here, Ron, and to be with your guest. Thank you. There's a couple of books you've written already, and I know as I've been talking to you over the last number of months, maybe in the last year, there's a, there's a new theme that's just really gripping you, and that is the humanity of Jesus. And I was hoping we could unpack that today, and how would we even begin to tackle the humanity of Jesus in that topic? Well, I think, I think this. Uh, there's never been a time in my life through the grace of God that I've ever doubted that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. I grew up in a very, very devout home. Um, my father and mother prayed. Uh, we, we lived in a very, very small home. I was one, the youngest of five children, but I observed my parents praying all the time in our house. And, uh, and perhaps me, because I had uh, rheumatic fever and I was home for a year, I perhaps saw it better than my brothers and sisters, how, how much my mother prayed uh, during the day. And a lot of that was passed to me. And so I lived my life as a devout Catholic, um, becoming, uh, somewhat self-righteous. And, um, while I was, uh, um, very observant in a sense, it was more of going through the motions than, um, doing it through my heart. And I've come to realize that uh, what I was was an Old Testament Catholic, as I define it. I loved the Lord uh, with all my heart, soul, and strength, but I didn't love him with my mind. And the reason I didn't love him with my mind was because um, I didn't know Scripture. I heard Scripture, but I didn't know Scripture. And uh, it is very interesting. Uh, one night in my early 40s, uh, about 38 years ago, I uh, had an epiphany. <clears throat> I was kind of at a nadir in my faith where I would go to communion and pray to God that I would somehow feel something because I didn't feel anything. I felt empty inside. It wasn't a question of, of belief. It was a question uh, of, of just being so uh, the salt had gone flat, as it says in the scripture. Mm. Um, and, uh, one night I decided to give my life to Jesus. And when I meant 
give my life, I meant my, my wife, my children, my career, uh, my resources, uh, everything, my relationships. And uh, I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, but, uh, uh, and actually it happened at a dinner where I heard a, a man for the first time in my life, a layman, get up and talk, use the name Jesus in public about having a relationship with Jesus. And, and all of a sudden I realized that I did not have the kind of relationship that he had. And then a little later I joined a Bible study and that was pivotal because um, I began to read. I I had a great evangelical teacher and um, I would spend, I'm a workaholic and uh, I would spend every Friday studying scripture all day. I clean, I, I, I made my schedule such that I would be available to learn. Wow. And we went through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation over and over. And uh, within a year I was teaching and um, uh, I, I started with two friends of mine. I said, would you like to learn about the Bible? And they both said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, we all have teenagers. How about if we got together once a week and prayed? For our families. They said, that's a good idea. <clears throat> and they were very close friends. And uh, pretty soon I had 25 guys within a couple months, 25 Catholic guys meeting, studying scripture with me. Because what I would do is we'd pray and then I would bring scripture in. And pretty soon it became a Bible study. And I took them through almost every book. That lasted for over 25 years. I took them almost through every book of the Bible. At the same time, a group of young evangelicals came to me and said, um, uh, I had spoken to a, a group of businessmen, and they said, we don't know the Jesus you know. Will you teach us? That Bible study lasted for 30 years, and uh, many of those guys now have their own studies, which is exactly what you hope would happen is that they would yes. uh, catch it and pass it on. But as I said, I, I, I became... Um, I never, I discovered the humanity of Jesus in the Gospels. Um, uh, 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 I had two, another mentor after that, and my first mentor took me to meet the second mentor, and he happened to be a man named Doug Coe. He lived in Washington. He was um, inspirational in the National Prayer Breakfast in the United States and also in the House and Senate prayer groups, et cetera. And, um, he said, I'll teach you about everything I know about Jesus on one condition. And I said, what's the condition? And he says that you never spend a day without pondering something in the gospel. And I made that vow, and I have never broken it in 36 years. And, um, and I have learned so much about Jesus. I'm continuing to learn so much about Jesus. Because we as Catholics, uh, we worship the divine but we don't understand the humanity of Jesus. And I don't think you can understand the humanity of Jesus unless you've studied the gospel of John. And John, John wrote that gospel because uh, there was heresies arising at that time, right in the beginning heresies started and where uh, the Gnostics doubted that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And John wrote his gospel in to refute uh, that heresy. And when you read the gospel of John, uh, it's an emotional thing for me because I feel um, 
a connection uh, with the humanity of Jesus that enables me to think, talk, and act like him. I wish I could do it all the time, but it, it is an inspiration to me every day. And consequently, I have uh, memorized good portions of it, which I, I repeat in sort of a dialogue with Jesus uh, um, frequently during the week. So, Mike, I just want to pause for a second and, and go back because I'm hearing, you know, like your experience of your faith. And, and you know, you talked about I, I was practicing Catholic, maybe a bit self-righteous in my perspective, um, and go to Mass just hoping that something would connect because you felt empty inside. That is the story of so many Catholics that I've encountered through mostly through Alpha, because when they come alive, when they're filled with the Spirit, when they encounter Jesus, they can then and only then reflect on, oh, that's, <laughs> you know, they can differentiate because they've had a different experience, but most of their experience has been that dull, almost life, spiritual lifelessness uh, and yet ritual behavior. And knowing that there's more, but not having a clue how to get from here to there. And it sounds like that was your experience too. And, and, and it sounds like, again, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying was you got to a place where there was full surrender on your part in your 40s. Now, when you were 40, I'm guessing you had a family and you had a business career or a career of some sort. And then you prioritized that much time to study scripture. Did you have that much time on your plate? Did you have lots of free time? Well, I, <clears throat> I'm a very disciplined person, and um, uh, you, you know, I was um, educated as a lawyer, and then in my early 30s, uh, with a partner, we started buying companies, and we had companies from Boston to Los Angeles and in Europe, and so I spent a lot of time traveling and uh, a lot of time working very, very hard, and. I, I, if you had ever asked me, I would say, well, what are your priorities? I would say God, family, and work. And that wouldn't have been true. It was work. And then everything else followed, even though I had conned myself into thinking that I was uh, doing this all for my family. It wasn't. It was, it, I've come to realize that it was, I was driven by my own ambition. And it wasn't for money or anything like that. That came, to be honest with you. But it, it was just, uh, Growing up uh, in, in a lower middle class, uh, my parents had come to this country from Canada. Um, and of course, their forebears had come from Ireland. Uh, and that's what I was taught was uh, education, work. And, and as I said, uh, our family, thank God, was uh, a very Christian family. Uh, but I think, you know, if you, if you look at God's plan, why did Jesus come? Because he had given the great commandment in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone, and you shall love him with their heart, soul, and strength. And then in Leviticus, it, it, in, I think it's chapter 19, it says, and you shall love others as yourself, in essence. But um, the people couldn't do it. And they tried, but even, even David and Solomon <clears throat> did not finish well. And uh, I, I, the reason Jesus came was we weren't getting it. And Jesus came because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And then you could, you could begin to understand who God was 
by understanding Jesus, Jesus who is God. And uh, the more you understood Jesus, the closer you became to be a friend with him. <clears throat> and, you know, we, we use all kinds of terms. Uh, you know, a lot of evangelicals use the term born again. Catholics often will say committing your life to Christ, renewal, or some other uh, nomenclature. But in reality, what Jesus came to do was to start a family, the family of God. And he came to start, he came to, to enter into an individual friendship with each one of us. A friendship that surpasses all other friendship. Because in that friendship, we understand the incredible, passionate love that Jesus has for us, a love so great that he died for us. And if we were the only person in the world who was a sinner, he still would have died for us. That's how great his, his love is for each one of us. I remember just before I went to Australia to speak at the Bishop's Conference in 2019, we had talked, we had had a, a conversation, and, and you were speaking into me, Jesus, so powerfully about the name of Jesus that it transformed me. And I went there and gave that talk. And and honestly, you might as well have been up there giving the talk because how the conviction that was on my heart after talking to you about the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the friendship of Jesus, it made me realize that, my gosh, like, there's a waking up opportunity for me in that. Um, you know, you bring up a, a really great point, Ron, and that is how reluctant we are to use the name of Jesus. And um, I went to an archbishop who is a friend of mine, and I asked him the question. I said, you know, um, Archbishop, why are we so reluctant to use the name of Jesus? We'll use the name Lord, Christ, God. but the power, as it says in scripture, is in the name of Jesus. And he put his head down, and I thought I had offended him. But he raised up, he says, you know what, Mike? He says, um, we're embarrassed. And I said, thank God for the evangelical movement, because they're not afraid to use the name Jesus. And we Catholics are. And, you know, I said uh, to a, a group I was speaking to, if my name is Mike Timmis, if you say to someone, I know Timus, and he's a friend of mine and what have you, and you would say, oh, that's interesting. Another guy says, Mike is really a good friend of mine. Who do you think is closer to me than the one who uses Timus or the one who uses Mike, which is personal? And I think this is, this is something that, that Catholics don't realize, the powers in the name Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I was at Mass this morning. <clears throat> and I heard a non-sermon, and uh, he never mentioned Jesus once. And, uh, and that is part of the problem, and it's easy to be critical. But I, I tell you, in those, I used to be very critical, but in those moments, I just go to prayer. And I do not let it bother me, because I don't want anything to interfere with my worship and then the reception of the Eucharist, which is mm. uh, the pivotal moment of each day for me. But um, using the name Jesus, let me give you an example. I've been in 124 countries. I've witnessed to leaders. I've been in prisons on every continent uh, speaking about Jesus because I was chairman of Prison Fellowship International. 
And uh, it wasn't my day job, but um, it, it is something that I embraced as, as well as I could. And in going into prison uh, is a very unique experience because uh, a lot of prisoners are not interested. Um, and if you went, you go up to a, a cell and I would say, my name is Mike. And um, could I talk to you? He said, and they would say, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, a friend of yours sent me to talk to you. And uh, they say, who would you know? And I said, uh, actually, he's your best friend and you don't realize that his name is Jesus. You don't know, you've heard his name, but you don't know anything about him. And um, even in non, in non uh, uh, like in Latin countries where I have done this, even through a, a, a translator, it worked. And some would say, well, I'm not interested in talking to you. And I said, let me just ask you a question. Why the hell do you think I want to talk to you? Why do you think I'm here? I don't have to be here. I'm free. And that would always take them back, to be honest with you. And, <laughs> and then I would have a chance to, to say, and why are you really here? I said, you know, and I said, because somebody came to me and told me about my friendship, about being friends with Jesus, and it's changed my life. And um, he has become my best friend. He has saved my marriage. He's brought my children to, to him. He is now bringing my grandchildren to him. And uh, he's changed life and my life in every way. There's so many people, Mike, that um, it's probably the number one pain I hear in people's lives is that they've done everything that the church told them to do, everything that they were supposed to do as good Catholics and their kids and their grandkids uh, don't, they're so far away from the church, right? And I just think to myself, the different, I know that can happen to anybody and it breaks my heart and I'm not standing here in any judgment, but the difference between going to church and being friends with Jesus, like seeking that intimacy with Jesus is a real difference maker. I saw it in my own family. Uh, uh, our son was extremely rebellious and uh, was rebellious for five years. And uh, one thing uh, a friend of mine said to me, what if you gain the whole world and lose your son? And uh, I purposed then to try to be Jesus to him, and it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. But uh, ultimately, uh, uh, when he was 22, he had a spiritual epiphany and accepted Jesus into his life, and he's probably one of the most Jesus-centered men I know. Um, and he's lived a life of pain of sickness in his family, et cetera. Um, but... Uh, I, parents say this to me all the time, and what should I do? I said, the more you act like Jesus, the greater the attraction is to your children. And if you, uh, first of all, it begins on, in prayer. Uh, and uh, my first prayer every single morning is, uh, is after I acknowledge the Lord in my life, I pray for my family. Mm. And I pray that everyone would be sanctified, that they would know who Jesus is, that they would enter into a deep friendship with him, and they would follow him the rest of their life, and that they would, each of my granddaughters would marry a, a Jesus-centered man uh, coming from a Jesus-centered family. I have been praying that every day since they were born, by the way. Um, 
And I think that, that, you know, today's gospel was asking you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be open to you. You've got to ask for your kids. Mm. You have to be satisfied that, that if your prayer is consistent, uh, it's like the, the passage in scripture where the woman um, um, begs this unjust judge for, uh, for an answer, and he finally just gives it in, gives it to her because of her persistence. And then the following uh, verse says, if, if, if an unjust judge could do it, what would you think your God can do for you? In other words, um, Jesus says that he will answer your prayers in his way, not necessarily. And I used to pray for my son, and I would say, Lord, all I ask you is that he would embrace you and, and be saved by you. And I don't have to see it, but I have to know in my heart that it's done. And I would pray that prayer all the time, and God answered that prayer. He didn't answer it quickly, but he answered it. Mm. Mm. That's St. Augustine's mother. That was years of praying, and he was pretty rebellious, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, probably close to 20 years that she prayed for St. Monica, prayed for St. Augustine. Yes. Jesus. And he would say, I want to, but I'm not quite ready yet. (laughs) Don't want to spoil my fun. He he didn't spoil his fun. Mike, the I, I heard it said by actually it was Father James that heard it said, and I just repeat it all the time because it made so much sense to me. And uh, I, I think it was a Baptist preacher who was or a teacher at the college in Acadia said a, a person would do do well to have three conversions in their life: a conversion to Jesus, a conversion to his church, and a conversion to his mission. And it seems to me as you kind of shared your first 40 years that, that you are committed to the church. Right. But, but Jesus seemed elusive, even in that family upbringing, even watching you. So tell me a little bit more about that. Cause I think a lot of people can relate to that. Well, I, you know, I, I, th- I think that when I think back, there was a longing and, but to be honest with you, nobody had ever really shared Jesus with me. Never. I mean, even even going to a, a, a parochial school taught by Dominicans and a Jesuit high school. Uh, and my son did all that. I went to a state college. My son went to Marquette in Milwaukee, and uh, he never heard the gospel preached in a relationship with Jesus. And uh, on the contrary, uh, he had a, a, a professor in theology that believed in abortion and 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 when when kids complained they said well he's tenured um and he had another uh man who had been a priest was married to a nun and so consequently he did he he came he 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 told his mother he said if this is what it's all about i don't want to be a christian i think they're all hypocrites and uh and only through the grace of God and meeting people, by the way, who are friends of mine. And he said, he said one day to his mother, he says, you know, I can't believe all of dad's friends seem normal. <laughs> because for him, for him to follow Jesus was not normal. 
Good point. But he saw, he saw uh, laughter. He saw joy. He saw friendship in a way that, that transcended the normal friendship. Yes. And, and, and I thank God every day for all the friends he's brought around me that have helped me to stay who I am. And uh, I think this is, God is just longing for each one of us. And, um, you, you know, I, uh, I gave a talk to a group in Africa last week, uh, or about 10 days ago now. And I was saying that um, um, one of my favorite passages is with Jesus. And we just had it recently at Mass um, where Jesus asked, Peter, and who do you say I am? And he said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And by the way, and uh, Mary said exactly that. Uh, Mary, um, Mary uh, in, the, in the scene with Lazarus' death, says exactly the same thing. And who do you say I am? And I said, you know, it's very interesting. There is, a, there is a device now called the mirror that you can buy, and it's basically a, a, a six-foot mirror that geared into the internet and you can stand in front of a trainer who's going to tell you how to exercise etc and i thought to myself standing in front of a mirror and thinking that jesus is looking at me and who do you say i am and um i think if 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 your listeners would stand in front of a mirror and think that they're looking at jesus and saying who do you say i am and listen they would learn an awful lot about themselves and where Jesus wants them to be. You know, um, Jesus never asks us to do something we can't do. And he is extremely patient with us. And we move along the steps of life, uh, sort of like in baby steps towards him. And he, he is not demanding. He, is, he, is, he has a still, small voice that whispers to us. It doesn't shout to us. It whispers to us and leads us along his way, if we, only we would listen. Hmm. What advice would you have for somebody that's listening to us now that's saying, you know, I'm a busy businessman as well. Um, I'm at a point in my life where I'm working my brains out. Uh, I go to church, um, but if I'm honest, it's not really doing much for me that I can tell. Um, I don't have a lot of time. Uh, but, but Mike, you're, you're speaking, I'm hearing you. I feel like I need to do something different. What would you say? Well, you know, first of all, life is a choice. Uh, we choose to eat. We choose to watch television. We choose to do other things and to follow Jesus is a choice. And, um, I, I was a workaholic. And after I met Jesus, I continued to be a workaholic. However, I changed my priorities. Mm. I went in an hour later, which didn't matter. And I spent that hour with my wife and with Jesus. And um, it changed our marriage. I started listening rather than talking. And um, I don't care. I mean, people say to me, Mike, I'm, I'm busy. And... I, I use an epitaph that I won't use in this. And <laughs> it's, it's baloney. I, it, you do what you want to do. Yes. And if you really desire, and what we don't realize is that that desire is eternal. 
And uh, it's a choice I make. When I get in the car, I don't turn on the radio. I turn on Jesus. And when I'm waiting for an elevator, I say a microburst of prayer. And, and uh, I use every minute of the day where I'm waiting for something um, to, to pray about something. And, and you know, needless to say, uh, you know, my family has some severe illnesses. And so I'm in, I'm in constant prayer for them. And uh, I use every, all my time. I don't waste time. And uh, however, before I go to bed, I go out for a walk with my dog and I finish my prayers of the day. And um, Jesus doesn't, just sitting down praying in the morning, um, that's not, it's, it's like saying, I'm only going to talk to my wife in the morning. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. And so you, the fact that you are in communication with your wife or your children, that's exactly, communication is everything with, you can't, you, you, you can't have a, 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 you can't walk the walk unless you're, you're talking with Jesus throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, when you talk about prayer, Mother Teresa taught me when I went over to see her the first time, she said, you know, we pray all day long. What are we doing right now? We were walking along in, in the streets of Calcutta. She said, um, we're talking about Jesus. That's a prayer. And I began to understand that my whole life is a prayer. And, uh, and when, when I do something that I know I shouldn't have done, uh, it comes to me, to my mind, and I said, Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have thought that. I mean, that's stupid. And I don't want anything to interfere with. You wouldn't do anything to a friend, to, to hurt a friend, or to, or to uh, do something that affects your friendship. Uh, and it's the same way with Jesus. I mean, the whole point is, is friendship with Jesus and friendship with others because of Jesus. And I have a lot of non-believing friends, but they know that I follow Jesus. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, they, they have a respect for me and a trust in me because they know that I live a certain way of life and I'm going to be a, a good friend to them no matter what. Mm. I know that, Mike, you've been a friend of Alpha's. You've been on the board of the International Board for Alpha. How big a role has Alpha played in, like, for you in terms of helping people that are at a crossroads or that are slightly open? Like, well, I I have been involved in evangelization um, for decades now, and I've seen just about every methodology to lead people to Jesus or to to inform people about Jesus. And the beauty of Alpha is that it presents Jesus um, in a very personal way so that people uh, of any denomination or any educational background can, can grasp who Jesus really is. Mm. And that's the beauty of it. And that's why my wife and I have uh, supported it for uh, the reason, actually the reason I got involved, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, Ron, was uh, in going through the prisons of the world, I kept meeting men who had accepted Christ, um, and I said, how, how did you do that? And they said, well, I learned all about Jesus in the Alpha Course. And so I had heard it so many times, 
I even heard it on death row in Uganda where they had uh, taken Alpha on death row. And uh, I went to London, they were having a conference <clears throat> and uh, I wanted to find out about Alpha because they didn't know anything about it. Right. And um, so when I was there, somebody told him that the president of, or chairman of Prison Fellowship International was there. So he called me up on the stage and he said, you know, basically, why are you here? And, and uh, why are you here? And what are you trying to learn, et cetera, et cetera. And I told him the story about meeting Alpha in the prisons. <clears throat> and six months later, uh, Nikki Gumbo called me and said, would you, we want a Roman Catholic leader on our board. Would you join? And that's the, that's, I, I said, after prayer, I said, I have to talk to my wife. And then after prayer, I decided to do it. And that was over 10 years ago. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and uh, <clears throat> I was particularly, Nikki also asked me to um, come back to the United States and try to, uh, we had had a small foothold in the, in the Northeast, but Alpha was nearly not accepted in the Catholic Church throughout. And so uh, through some friends from the Archdiocese of Detroit, I learned of this deacon who had been a businessman and uh, was very interested in evangelization. And he became the head of it. His name is Steve Mitchell. And yes. he works with Father John Ricardo now. Yeah. And, uh, Steve did a tri- tremendous job. And now he's been succeeded by a man named Josh Dennis. Dennis. And we are, we are, we can hardly keep up with the demand from the diocese now uh, to teach them how to use Alpha. And in fact, Alpha Online has been a boon uh, for the Catholic Church because a lot of Catholics uh, who are somewhat reluctant to go to anything but Mass now can do it <laughs> on Zoom. And uh, um, if, if you take the Alpha course, I don't care. Every time, it's like, it's, it's the same thing as this. Every time I read scripture, I learn something. I mean, it is, it is, uh, it affects me every single time I read. And I read the gospels every day. Not all of them. I'm, I'm a portion of, yes. of a gospel. And it affects me. It affects me deeply. And it gives me a strength of relationship with God that helps me to be the man that I want to be. Mm. I love that. The, you know, as I, as we begin to wrap up, the work that I do is, is with pastors and their parishes and, and sometimes diocese as well. Done some work with diocese. And I remember one diocese in particular, they, they did not speak the name of Jesus. And, and I remember, overhearing a conversation because we were getting ready for an online meeting. And so there was just some chatter in the background. And somebody says, wasn't that wonderful how Father so-and-so said that he never uses the name of Jesus? And I was just, what? And so I went to the microphone and just said, did I hear that correctly? And they're like, yeah. I said, how big a role is that person in your diocese in terms of influence? Said, oh, actually one of our most senior influential priests in our diocese. And I'm thinking, really, you have one of the most influential senior priests in your diocese, and he doesn't talk about Jesus. I said, no, that's, that's basically the culture of our diocese. And uh, what would you say, like what, when you hear that, when you. Well, it, it, obviously it hurts to hear that. Uh, and I, I think this, um, 
there is no question that if 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 you're a Catholic like I am and very public in in my expression of faith and what have you, you're going to get some slings and arrows. Yeah. And on the other hand, uh, I've made it a point to become friends with priests. <clears throat> and I had a priest call me uh, two weeks ago. He says, I'm struggling in how to convey the principles of marriage and, and other things to my congregation. And Mike, do you have any advice? I've only met this priest twice in person, but I've talked to him on the phone two or three times. And I said, yeah, I mean, I said, you know, first of all, in marriage, um, marriage is <clears throat> the reason marriage works is because it's of God and it's the gift of grace. And I said, most people don't understand what grace is. And um, if you live, just live together, um, you're, you're living basically for pleasure and, and not out of the love that, that the sacrament gives you. And I said, you, therefore, you don't get any grace. And that's why those relationships usually don't last uh, very long. And I said, Father, explain to them that, that grace is, is a current. It's just like no electrical appliance works unless you plug it in. And grace is the electricity into you that makes you work. And without being plugged in, um, you don't have the power that you should have in order to do what you should do. And so <laughs> then he sent me a copy of his homily and all the points we had discussed. He, he called me at 9.30 on a Sunday night and said, did you see it? I said, 9.30 Sunday night, I'm headed for the barn. And, and I said, no, but I'll watch it tomorrow morning and send you an email. So, you know, I, I think one of the things my wife and I have done for decades now is befriend priests. Yes. And um, uh, a lot of priests don't have a clue. Uh, uh, Bishop Barron told me uh, uh, on Word on Fire, he said half the priests have never read the Bible cover to cover. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that what, what God wants us to do <clears throat> is not to be arrogant or vain or whatever, but to be, a, in, in essence, a, a light that shines no matter where we are, either in the darkness or the semi-darkness or even in the light. We shine as the light of Jesus. And that's how change comes. When a number of people will do that, uh, it changed. When Alpha came into our parish, our pastor changed. Yes. His whole, his whole ministry, it was like 180 degrees where he, he was so passive, he became full of the Holy Spirit, and he was so excited about what had happened amongst the laity in our church. And the laity started doing where we had a, maybe a three-page Sunday newsletter, at, you know, and you come out of Mass. Now it's like 22 pages. I mean, there's, there's Bible studies for third-grade mothers with blonde hair and blue eyes. I mean, there, <laughs> there, there was so many things going on, and that Alpha was the catalyst. Alpha is only the alpha. It's not the alpha and omega. It is a catalyst so that, that Catholics or any Christians can move on and do other things as they're led by the Lord. And it's so exciting because the excitement and joy of the people doing it, our church came alive like it never was before. I love that. So I know that a lot of people that have been faithful for, the, for years and years and years have, have really 
contributed to the life of churches. And uh, at what point, you know, because a lot of churches are aging. At what point does someone take a look at, hey, you know what, I've done enough. I'm getting up there in years. Uh, it's, uh, it's time for me to just relax and settle in and just pass on the baton. What, what advice would you have for those folks? Well, Paul, St. Paul calls us that we're in a race. Yeah. We're running. And the way I feel is that, yeah, I'm in the race <clears throat> and I've run the race. And now as I face the end of my life, uh, how do you win a race? You sprint the last portion of the race. In other words, your, your passion doesn't decrease, your passion increases. I'll give you an example. I've been married for uh, 58 years. My, the, my, my love for my wife is, is incalculable compared to when we first married. I love her so much uh, that it is life itself. And, um, and our passion for each other in love has grown every year. And so if, if you're a real follower of Jesus, I mean, your passion, I, I mean, I, I'll never forget, I met this nun in, in um, Burundi, East Africa, where, right where Stanley found Livingston. And she was a German nun, and she had been there since 1935. And she had never gone home. And she, they, they, they had the school, and, a, and they had a live birth every day in their hospital. And this nun, this old nun, said to me, Do you imagine, can you imagine how much Jesus loves me, that he has allowed me to live here with these people since 1935? It is, I can hardly wait to get up out of bed every morning and see what Jesus has in store for me. That is a woman of passion. That is a woman uh, who, uh, an unnamed saint, uh, and I want to have that same kind of passion. I want to get up every morning and say, okay, uh, Lord, I'm available. And you know what? I, I find right now more people coming to me than any time of my life because a lot of people are searching and a lot of people just want to be affirmed. Yeah. And, and all of us need love and friendship. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm awfully grateful for your love and friendship, for making the time to mentor me and speak into me. Mike, you, um, your, your friendship is a, is a model of Jesus's friendship to me. And, and, and so thank you for spending the time on the podcast with us today. My joy, brother. God bless, God bless you. And God bless all your listeners. Today's episode was an encouragement on many levels. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. Why not head over to ronhuntley.com and send us a note to let us know what connected with you today. For all of our regular listeners, thank you for making the time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.